Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. I don't like the phrase stick to football, but I will say to Sam Darnold, stick to football. Art I don't know. apparently <laughs> was not his major at USC, unless it's something really <laughs> abstract that is beyond our level of appreciation and comprehension. Well, you know, there's an argument to be made that Sam Darnold's Panthers logo is better than the product he's put on the field in his first three years, but that could be the Jets' fault. Maybe he's going to be better with the Panthers. Uh, Sam Darnold, draw a ghost. He can draw a ghost better than anything because we know he sees them. He's Miles Simmons. I'm Mike Florio. It's PFTPM Friday edition. Speaking of ghosts, one week closer to death, baby. That's the Friday thing. Do we have the T-shirt? T-shirt available at JulianEdelman.com. One week closer to death. All of us. That happy thought. What a way to start into the weekend. I I think that there's some positivity in that, though, because when you accept your mortality and get that out of the way at 5 p.m. Eastern on a Friday, you can then eat, drink, and be merry before you are one week closer to being dead. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's a great way to go into the weekend, right? You know, you're basically just saying that you're one week closer to death, but you could also speed it up. With all the things that you consume on the weekend, whether that's television products that rot your brain or other products that rot your brain, such as liquors and beers and things of that nature that I will probably consume over the course of this weekend. I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm going to have a good weekend. Oh, uh, I I will definitely have a good weekend. Uh, Mother's Day is an occasion to, uh, you know, celebrate. Uh, celebrate the mothers and uh, uh, you know that's that's just another reason to relax and unwind and enjoy life because we are all one week closer to death let's get to it NFL Players Association and the NFL continue to grapple over the issue of offseason workouts players not showing up the union trying to get as many players as possible to not show up. The week began with a conference call between the union leadership, rookies, and their agents because the union is trying to get the rookies not to show up, which is kind of a ludicrous proposition. Anybody drafted below round three, if you don't show up for the offseason program voluntarily, you're going to have a hard time making the team. The later you're drafted, the harder it's going to be to make the 53-man roster. And if you're undrafted, do you imagine an undrafted player? Just days after signing the contract as an undrafted rookie, not good enough to be drafted in any of the seven rounds, you know what? I'm not going to come to the offseason workout. Don't even bother to unpack your bag. And speaking of packing your bags, you can unpack your bag in a hotel at the team facility. Not the team facility, but, you know, at or around the team facility. They put you in lodging. They feed you. You have a transition period until you find a place to live in the city where you are going to be residing. So, There's plenty of reasons to do it if you're a rookie, and this just illustrates the serious conflicts of interest among the various members of this union. Some, it's in their interest to not show up to the offseason program. Others, it's in their interest to be there, but that's not stopping the union from trying to get as many players as possible 
to not show up. And I really do continue to believe it's a mistake, Miles, especially for rookies. And it, I'm told that some agents really push back aggressively on Monday because they're trying to represent their clients. And you represent your client, you tell your client, you get your butt in there. Don't listen to your union. Listen to me. It's in your best interest to get in there. Uh, absolutely. And look, I think if you're talking about rookie mini camps, just oh, m- some teams may do it differently than others. But the ones that I've been around, the ones that I've seen, usually they're very, very scaled back everything in terms of what is going on on the field. It's more like I, I would equate it to basically a freshman orientation when you're going to college. Basically, you're just trying to get into the building. You're trying to meet your coaches. You're meeting your new teammates. You're seeing your locker for the first time. You're seeing your helmet for the first time. You know, maybe you you get your jersey fitted for the first time and everything like that. You know, you're trying to figure out where the cafeteria is, where your meeting room is. You're not going out there going through a full practice and everything. So I think it is kind of like you said, it's a little ludicrous to say, oh, no, rookies, don't go to the rookie minicamp. You don't need to do that. Well, I mean, you kind of do, because otherwise, if you're just going to say, no, I'm not going to any part of this offseason program and you're a rookie, then you're not going to know your head from your feet when you actually end up in the team facility for the first time for training camp. And to me, that doesn't really make any sense. So I think it makes a lot of sense for agents to say, especially if their guys are drafted round three or later, no, 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 no. You actually really need to be in there and in the building and not just for rookie minicamp for the entire offseason program, because that's the only way you're going to be able to make the team is if you establish trust with this coaching staff. And the only way for you to really do that is to be there. So I just... It makes all the sense in the world for rookies to be at rookie minicamp and then the rest of the offseason program. Yeah, and, you know, apart from getting yourself situated, getting yourself oriented, getting yourself comfortable for training camp, you're showing the coach you give a crap. And that's one of the ingredients in getting the coach to decide that you are somebody who will be on the team when Labor Day weekend rolls around. And that's one of the fundamental problems with this union the interests of the rank and file are too divergent, whether it's the position that you play, whether it's the whole concept of the salary cap. Everyone's eating out of the same pie among the various NFL franchises. There's 90 jobs that shrink to 53. You don't usually have that kind of competition among your workforce where it's a zero-sum game, and for every guy who gets a job, there's going to be another one roughly. The odds are almost one-to-one that you're going to be cut 53 stay 37 go it's a little over half that make it but and and then you're always at risk of being cut if you do make it for one of your union brothers who would come in and take your job so it really is a weird situation altogether jay feely had a tweet today that i think bears mentioning he says i waited two years after college to get invited to sign with an NFL team, there is no way I wouldn't have gone to off-season workouts. Don't ask these young players to risk their dreams for a bargaining chip for veterans who prefer to work out on their own. And, you know, that's the reality. The veterans want to work out on their own, and they don't want the young players to be there impressing the coaches, making the coaches comfortable, and making the coaches ultimately say, you know what, let's keep the guy who's making 800000 this year and cut the guy who's making $7 million. Of course. Look, everybody's trying to look out for their best interests. And if you are a veteran, then sure, I see exactly why you would say, no, nobody should be at these offseason workouts because that is what your best interest is. And frankly, I mean, it's still voluntary, right? So the reason that you don't need to go is because it's voluntary. And if you're good enough, 
then in theory, you should still be able to get in your work in the off-season program or during the off-season program when it's going on, if you're off-site and you can say, look, I'm still going to be my same guy. I'm still going to be the same player. I might even be better than I was last year and I'll prove it to you in training camp. Now, obviously the problem with that is you might get supplanted by somebody who's there and who's getting the instruction every single day. And so from a veteran standpoint, yes, I do understand why it is that they would want none of this to be happening at the, at, at this point in time um, in the off season. But if you're a young player, I mean, you got to look at that and you just got to say, man, I, like Jay Feely just said, I don't want to put my dreams on hold or maybe take a step back from what I would be able to do just because it benefits you. And that really is the problem with what you're saying here in this zero sum game, because it really just is that. I mean, there is kind of no way for this to not be as it currently is, right? Because of the way rosters are constructed, because of the way the salary cap is. So look, it, if you're a young player, it makes all the sense in the world for you to go to work. You just, whether it's voluntary or not, you just need to be there so that you establish that trust. When you're older, if you're good enough, then yeah, you can stay away all you want. But I don't know that it's really fair for these younger players, for the older players to say, no, everybody needs to do exactly what we say that they have to do when it's probably not in their best interest. And everybody kind of knows that. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. The union, nevertheless, still pushing the issue. There was a conference call today that was available to all players. I'd love to know how many players actually were on it because a very small percentage of them understand the issues or even care. Four o'clock Eastern on a Friday afternoon. I suspect your participation rate is going to be extremely low. But Tom Brady, the Buccaneers quarterback, was on the call. And he argued that the players should push for modifications to the offseason program. And that seems to be what this is all about, trying to get the, the league to agree to something. Otherwise, they're going to continue to do this every year, and they're going to encourage guys to stay away every year, and it's going to be this annoyance every year. That's still not the best leverage. You know, the best leverage for the union came twice last year. They negotiated a new CBA in March, finalized it in March, negotiated it for months before that. League wants 17 games. If you, as the union, want stuff that doesn't cost the owners any money, that's when you ask for it because you're likely to get it because the owners say, what's that cost us? It doesn't cost you anything. Well, hell yeah, let's do it. So they could have asked for it then. And then, Miles, last July, when they essentially reopened the CBA and renegotiated it to allow pro football to proceed last year during the pandemic, that was another occasion to do it. And there's a third time they could have done it when they negotiated the salary cap this year. Hey, by the way, by the way, let's modify the offseason program for this year. And then maybe next year you have an occasion to make it more permanent. I think that their strategy here is to create chaos, to be an irritant, to be an annoyance to the point where the league finally says, okay, how about this? How about this? If we cut it in half, will you agree to show up. If we do these other changes, will you agree to show up and stop doing this every single year? I, I just think that I, I, I think it's a mistake. It's not in the best interest of most players. It's definitely not in the interest of Juwan James. More on him in a second. And I, I look, I, I like the fact that Tom Brady is on board with what the NFLPA is recommending, but he's the guy last year, Miles, when the union said don't get together and work out during the pandemic away from the facility until training camp opens. They kept dragging guys to the practice field to work out. So all of a sudden he's on board with what the union wants him to do. 
Yeah, now he's talking about, you know, the MLB pitchers don't throw 95-mile-an-hour fastballs in the offseason. Well, I mean, dude, you're the one that was getting together with all your guys and you were throwing to establish chemistry in the offseason last year. So, I mean, you know. The only thing uh, we he, have to fear is fear itself. Right. Yes, exactly. I don't know. And I mean, the you fact said that we're one week closer to death. That too, yes. But you said like chaos is a ladder. You said, you know, they're trying to create chaos. I mean, somebody once said that chaos is a ladder, man. And I just feel like in this case, the ladder's not going up. They're taking the ladder right on down because it's not creating the type of environment that they need it to create in order to make some sort of leverage. They have no leverage, right? Like you just said, I mean, if they really wanted to do this and get uh, the off-season program modified, canceled, whatever, and you do that when you're trying to negotiate for 17 games. That, that really is a chip because not only is it not going to cost the owners any money to get rid of, it's going to cost them less money. They're not going to have to, in theory, spend money on hotels and per diem and, you know, food and giving food to all these players and things like that. So... I just feel like there was a time for them to do this. It just isn't now because if I'm an owner, I'm saying, wait a minute. We literally just negotiated this last year. This is a new CBA. I'm not, I'm not taking the, I'm not trying to take something else away from my coaches who were already upset when we pared this thing down. You know, the last time we negotiated CBA in 2011 and the coaches are the ones that don't like this. So if it's not going to cost the owners any money, yeah, that's one thing. But at this point, when you just negotiated this whole thing, it makes no sense from that standpoint for them to take it down even further. And proving that the NFL really wants this, even though the owners deep down don't care, the memo that was sent on Wednesday after the Juwan James injury, the memo to all teams reminding them of something they've known since 1977, that if a player gets injured away from the facility – the player doesn't get paid, or more accurately, the team can choose not to pay the player. The NFLPA responded to that yesterday by calling it gutless and a scare tactic aimed at getting players to show up. Well, it may have been, and I think it was, but the players need to have someone telling them, oh, here are the risks if you get injured away from work. And one of the arguments that was raised, Miles, and it was buried deep in the NFLPA email, the suggestion that maybe this is a covered injury because Juwan James was working out under a training protocol recommended to him by his coaches. Now, that's an overstatement, I'm told. There was a letter that was provided to players who were going to be working out away from the facility with options, voluntary options, for the workout regimens they could engage in. And in the letter, I haven't seen it, but I've been told by someone who has, red print underlined, if you get injured away from the facility, you are on your own. We are not responsible for any such injuries, even if you are engaging in these voluntary options that we've provided you to work out away from the facility. So what the Broncos have done is they've placed Juwan James on the non-football injury list. How they handle it moving forward is up to them. They can freeze his pay. No money this year for him. They can make him pay for the surgery and the rehab. They can take back $3 million or at least try to in signing bonus money. And uh, it's up to the Broncos. And you know, the problem is the guy played in three games in 2019. He got paid $17 million. There hasn't been much of a push within the Broncos locker room to take care of Juwan James. And the the fans really aren't saying, you you know, this is some beloved player that we've been acquainted with for years and he's been a part of championship teams. If anything, they should be feeling buyer's remorse. And this is an opportunity to maybe 
capture back some of the money that they never should have spent on Jawan James. So he's one of the guys who definitely should have been at the facility because he's one of the guys who the team is unlikely to take care of if he gets injured away from work. Now, that's the calculation that players are going to have to make. What do I have to lose and how much can I lose and how much am I willing to risk losing? So if you're somebody like Juwan James, and it was reported that he was working out at the team facility and then all this stuff with the PA came out and then he wanted to support that. So then he went away from the facility and now he could pay a pretty hefty price. So I think... You know, when you're talking about the fact that it was underlined in big red, if you get uh, injured away from the facility you are on your own, then that's just the consequence. And it's kind of, it's not a great part about doing business, you know, in this league. But I think players know this all the time, that football is a business. They acknowledge this all the time, that there is a business aspect to football. And it's unfortunate for James that this has come to this, but I, I don't know that we can expect the Broncos to go out of their way to do something that they don't have to do in this particular situation based on everything that we know. And, you know, frankly, the Broncos may want to make an example out of Juwan James in this situation based on everything else that's going on. And I think it's unfortunate for James. Obviously, it's really unfortunate when anybody suffers a serious injury that's likely to take them out for most of the year, if not all of the season but I, like I said I mean this is the business aspect of football and it's just unfortunate I have a proven record of a decade or longer of being extremely pro player and taking up player causes and pushing back against this idea that fans align behind the billionaires in fights with the not necessarily as many millionaires as you may think among the ranks of the players but the messaging on this has been haphazard incomplete they haven't tried to spin me they've heard me out frankly off the record i've talked to people from the union they understand my concern nobody's tried to get me to change my mind maybe my opinion doesn't matter but you'd like to think that you'd be trying to get the people especially the people with a track record of supporting you to understand your best arguments and to realize what is really at stake here no one's tried to get me to open my eyes one person did and the best argument the best argument that has been made is that as for a compromise let guys work out on their own phase one and phase two. They show up for the OTAs. That would be the balance. And they don't have to be there for the first four or five weeks of the program, but get him in there for the OTAs. And the players apparently would be okay with that. That may be the olive branch, but it feels like we're nowhere close to reaching it. I, I saw that J.C. Treader was on with Pat McAfee recently, and Treader said, well, you know, between the offseason program and training camp, what, they don't want us working out? They just want us to sit around and not get ready for the season? And I think the fundamental difference is, if a player is working out in the dead period between the offseason program and training camp and he does tear an Achilles tendon or tear an ACL or suffer a season-ending injury, I think you're far less likely to have the team screw you, permissibly screw you, under the CBA and under your contract. This is about a time period on the calendar where the union is giving the NFL a middle finger and saying, we're not showing up, we're going to work out on our own. And the NFL is saying, okay, fine. I hope you understand what the CBA provides. I hope you don't get injured because if you're going to choose to give us the middle finger, folks, we're going to give it right back to you. Well, not only that, but I mean, you, we were talking earlier about, you know, the whole chaos thing. And I think one of the problems that has come out here from the, from the NFLPA and all of the different teams has been all of these different statements that these teams players made basically saying, 
either we universally are deciding that we're not showing up for the offseason program. Some of us in the locker room have decided it's not in our best interest to show up. Many of us think that it's better if we stay away, but some of us are actually going to be there for offseason workouts in person. And not only that, but they cited different reasons. Some of them cited COVID. Some of them decided just, you know, we don't think that it's necessary to do this after everything that we went through last season. So it's, it's, there's no one unified argument. And I think that that's kind of what's hurt their cause here. If you want to say, I think the compromise would be what you were just saying, right? You know, you can work out on your own and you still have those protections for phase one, phase two, but phase three, you should be in the, in the facility as much as possible. Right? That is, that is one thing. And I think that it's still a voluntary program, but if you have those protections when you're working out away and things are still virtual in phase one, phase two, it's very different than phase three when it's basically like a very light football practice. And that's why coaches love it when their guys are there because they get to really install things in the off season. So you're already kind of ahead when it comes to training camp. But I just feel like because all of these different things were cited in the different statements and not every team released a statement and they're still trying to figure things out as players continue to talk this week. When you don't have a unified response, it's hard for anything to really get done. So that's kind of where the NFLPA is right now. There's just no way to really coalesce around one cause because they don't have just one cause. Yeah, and uh, we'll see how it continues to play out. They did pick up a victory of sorts without having to really do anything as it relates to Brandon Bean, the Bills general manager, who had some comments recently about his inclination to cut a player who hasn't been vaccinated over a player who has been vaccinated. Let's hear what Brandon Bean had to say earlier this week. From the ratio, from living normal or having everybody to be tested, do you just cut a guy that's not vaccinated? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I would yeah. because it'd be an advantage. Honestly. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, we're laughing, but, uh, you know, the these meetings – we're not as as productive as before because we had, I mean, you guys saw it in the field house. We had three and four meetings going right. on and you sometimes you're talking over each other, but it was the only way to pull it off and be socially distanced. So um, it would be an advantage to, to yeah. cut a player and, 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 and fall under that umbrella. Brandon being an excellent general manager, but needs some better PR advice. I, I realized the moment he said that this isn't good because there is no mandatory vaccination. This would fall into the category of the things for which you can't cut a player. You just don't say anything about it, and you make your roster decisions based on merit. You don't come out and say, we cut this guy because he wasn't vaccinated. That's no different than saying we cut this guy because he kneels for the national anthem. Same idea. Different context, same idea. Different political viewpoints at play here. Someone who refuses to be vaccinated and someone who refuses to stand for the anthem. Same protection. You can't cut a guy for that. And the NFL today reminded Brandon Bean that that is not an acceptable basis for cutting a player. The union didn't do anything about it because they, they didn't have to. They were monitoring, I'm told, the situation. And when the NFL took care of it, they just let it go. Why go fight a fight that you've already won, Miles, at a time when you've got other fish that you're trying to fry? So it's good that the NFL did that. Hopefully Brandon Beans learned a lesson. 
basically it's don't say the quiet thing out loud that's the lesson yes. but how else are you gonna that's here's the other thing too because this this fascinates me indulge me because i used okay. to practice law and i used to represent individuals who were fired for various reasons protected under federal state and local law whether no it's race gender age or national i okay <laughs> I, I i you never know who's watching for the first time that you, you never know you know like when john oliver does that clip every so often where somebody all the times that someone has said over the course of their lifetime i grew up on a ranch i grew up on a ranch i grew up on a ranch and you run it in a loop it looks ridiculous sometimes it is relevant and sometimes it's an important piece of background otherwise people will think what the hell is this guy talking he's got no basis for it so you gotta you gotta i can't wear a badge next i got vaccinated here and i used to practice law here anyway anyway to my point can i can i make my point Yes, go Would ahead. Be okay Mike. I'm so you? sorry okay. I derailed you, so, but you know I just thought. Anyway, anyway, uh, you, you got you, you found one of my soft spots, just like you watching General Hospital for the last 11 years, which I'll never ever ever mention at any time. It's been much what? longer than 11 years. We're going on 20 oh, years, man. Don't oh. don't shortchange okay. me. Oh, here. so since you were 11, since you were yeah. 11, not 11 years. Okay, yeah, there you go. Uh, well, good. I'm glad we got that clarification. Anyway, me too. here's my point. Love that show. When you represent individuals who have had their rights violated by some sort of illegal discrimination or retaliation, you're never going to get anyone to admit it. They're never going to get on the witness stand. I don't care how good of a lawyer you are. You are never going to browbeat the witness to the point where they break like Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men and say, you're damn right I did. They're never going to do that. You prove your case through circumstantial evidence. So, so in a case like this, if a general manager is asking players whether or not they got vaccinated, that's the kind of thing that if John Doe didn't get vaccinated and he gets cut, he may have something. So uh, it, it's, it's something that the union needs to be paying attention to because some of these coaches, some of these GMs may be poking around to find out who is and who isn't vaccinated and they may use it against them. I think there's a bigger issue here that the union needs to keep an eye on to fully protect the players' rights. So that, that was my point. And again, if I had just blurted that out, anyone listening to this who didn't know I used to be a lawyer would be saying, what the hell does this idiot know? He doesn't even know football. Why am I listening to him talk about how you prove in, in court a discrimination case? So that's why I had to say it, Miles. You've okay, really upset yeah. me. I, me I think, <laughs> I'm sure that I did, but that's fine. I, I really do think that you make a good point, though. I mean, you know, lawyering aside i've never been a lawyer i've never practiced law and i didn't stay at a holiday Inn last night either but you so did go to I an think... ivy league school you did okay. go to cornell oh no i didn't i went to columbia man that was more insulting than you trying I to i didn't like, know you went to columbia about. well now you know <laughs> all right and then don't call, you, don't you, tell you me know, i went to know, cornell i'm please I, I that was an andy bernard thing i'm gonna get a sweatshirt that says columbia and wear it on the show one of these days when really? you least expect it expect it that sounds wonderful mike maybe i'll just you know grab my other sweatshirt and then we can be columbia twins even though i went there and you <laughs> didn't so anyway i feel i thought you made a good point before i'm not necessarily sure what it was but i believe that, it was <laughs> that teams cannot just ask you know these guys whether or not they've been vaccinated right that's not something that you're supposed to be able to do it's it's and especially because there are no mandatory vaccinations. However, 
I believe there's going to be a way for them to figure it out somehow, whether it's, you know, you put your name into an anonymous database because it looks like they're going to be able to have these thresholds where, you know, uh, at least the way they're doing it in Major League Baseball, right? You know, where if you reach a certain vaccination threshold, then you get to take off your masks and have other different rules, right? Like they already did it for the draft, where if you had everybody vaccinated, you could be in a room with 10 people and you you were able to take the masks off and you were able to eat and do all these different things. So there's going to be a way for them to do this, but there's no reason to ever say, yes, we're cutting this guy because he's not vaccinated. No, you're like, you're the, you, when you say the quiet part out loud, especially in a situation like this, it's very detrimental to you. I, I just think that the union needs to think this through very carefully and try to come up with protocols and procedures that would minimize the possibility of teams knowing who is and isn't vaccinated. Because if if a GM otherwise keeps his mouth shut, and just cuts a player based on merit, you're not going to be able to prove it. If if you, there are legitimate right. ways and reasonable ways that you're going to know who is and isn't vaccinated. So as they finalize whatever procedures they're going to have when training camp rolls around, and I think they do still need to negotiate that, they they uh, the union needs to take care to be as careful as possible that guys aren't red flagged as being not vaccinated because they have the right to not be vaccinated. Even though I believe everyone should be vaccinated, these individuals have the right to not be vaccinated and I'm capable of acknowledging their rights without, without, you know, being influenced by my own belief that they should be. If only the people who felt the other way about other political issues could respect the rights of the individuals to do the things that they feel compelled to do just because others may disagree. I mean, that's how we live in a civilized society, I think, but what the hell do I know? I'm only a lawyer. All right. Um, Let's see. We've gone a half hour. Let's cut and run here. Uh, let's let's. Um, all right. I, let's listen to Howie Roseman. I feel like we talk about the Eagles way more than we should, given the quality of the team right now. But here's Howie Roseman talking about Jalen Hurts and their desire to see Jalen Hurts become the starting quarterback this year. Play the tape, please. You're judging him off of four NFL starts in, in a tough situation with all the interest, injuries that we have. You know, we want to see him grab the job and, and kind of run with it and see what you do over a period of time. And I remember you told me this a long time ago, you know, the, the best body of work, the more you can see a player play, the more you can make decisions on that player. And um, I remember we talked about this when we were talking about, you know, even extending players early versus getting the, the full body of work. And I think, I think that applies here to Jalen. You know, we want to be in a situation where we get as much information as possible, given the best opportunity you know, build that offensive line, give him the right weapons, put him in a system that really maximizes his ability, and then go from there. This is kind of like the Gardner Minshew attitude from last year. I was a firm believer the Jaguars should keep the coach, the GM in place, and give Gardner Minshew a year, one year, to show that he can be the guy. If he is, great. If he's not, you move on to another one. And I kind of think that's what the Eagles are doing here. Jalen Hurts gets one year, one year. Given what drafting Jalen Hurts did – to the relationship between the Eagles and Carson Wentz, give him a year as the guy, see what he can do, and if he's good enough, you keep him. If he's not, you continue your quest for a franchise quarterback, especially because, I, you know, th- this this trend of disgruntled quarterbacks being available in trade, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I think as time goes by, there's going to be more and more and more of these quarterbacks who are with a team where they're not satisfied with how it's going, and they're going to try to force their way out to somewhere else. 
Well, sure, and why not? If it, if it if it works for a couple of them, or maybe even just one of them, then that's going to be able to open the door, I think, for a lot of other guys in order to do it when they're still under contract. I mean, Tom Brady obviously is one where he was not under contract any longer and was able to sign with Tampa Bay. But look, I think from the conversations we've had about Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson before all these cases came up against him this offseason – I think there's reason to believe that, yes, if a quarterback gets disgruntled while he's still under contract, then he could become available. But also, Mike, I mean, you're talking about the Eagles. They have an extra first-round pick next year from Miami, from that trade where they moved back uh, into the top 10. Miami moved back into the top 10, I should say. So there should be some opportunity next year for them to either trade up if they want to use that asset that they have from Miami or – they could still stay put if Jalen Hurts turns out to be the guy that they can trust at quarterback. It looks like, you know, they, they're putting stuff around him, right? We'll see how Jalen Rigor is in his second year there, if he can stay healthy. And Devontae Smith, look, he won the Heisman Trophy. He's a really good player. I think he should still be in the NFL. So there's going to be opportunity for Jalen Hurts to show that he can be the guy in Philadelphia. But I think you're right. It's one year. And if you're not showing enough traits that you can be that franchise QB, then we're out. And, you know, that's where the Giants are currently with Daniel Jones. They want him to show that he can ascend or they quite likely will move on. There are no excuses right now for Daniel Jones after what they've done to improve the weapons around him. So we're going to see more and more teams applying pressure more and more quickly to young quarterbacks so they can get a feel for whether or not that's the guy because there's going to be plenty of other guys out there. And I think that that – uh, carousel every year is going to spin with options at uh, the quarterback position. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, speaking of quarterbacks and speaking of efforts to get better quarterbacks, Nick Saban still miffed by the decision of the doctors in Miami, supposedly, to not pass Drew Brees on a physical 15 years ago today. I've, or not today, but 15 years ago. I've got some thoughts on that today. We'll share those with you when PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. 
T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. When I was the coach at the Miami Dolphins, doctors failed Drew Brees on the phys- physical. Mm-hmm. And from that time on, he made about 14 Pro Bowls, won a Super Bowl, passed for like, I don't know how many thousands of yards. So I guess they make mistakes too. Nick Saban talking about the Drew Brees shoulder injury from 15 years ago when Saban was the head coach and in charge of the football operations in Miami. The doctors failed Drew Brees on a physical. And Saban has said in the past if they had signed Drew Brees, he'd still be the coach of the Dolphins. I I think that probably is a stretch because he hated the college football or the pro football life. He wanted to get back to college football and also Miss Terry, his wife, Terry Saban, wanted to get back to the college football dynamic. The wife of the head football coach, a lot more sway, a lot more juice in the college town than in the NFL town where there's, frankly, little, if any. But uh, be that as it may, it bugs me, it irks me, it bothers me that Nick Saban continues to blame this on the Dolphins' doctors because I look at it this way. When you're Nick Saban and you're in charge of the football operation and you want to sign a guy, you find a doctor that tells you what you want to hear. That's how it works. This doctor doesn't want to clear Drew Brees on the physical. We'll get a second opinion. We'll see what this doctor thinks. We'll see what that doctor thinks. Because you know what? Eventually they would have found one. You know which one they would have found, Miles? They would have found the one that the Saints went to and said he's good to go. Right? Sean Payton wanted somebody to clear Drew Brees, and he got him. And we've been cynical about this, rightfully so, for years Doctors do what they think the coach wants them to do if they want to continue to be the doctor well into the future. You got to read the signals. And there are plenty of different ways that guys can and can't pass physicals. And the bottom line is Drew Brees' performance, 15 seasons with the Saints, tends to prove the shoulder was okay. So I I just look at it this way. If Nick Saban truly was in charge of the football operation of Miami. He would have found somebody to pass that physical if he really wanted Drew Brees. The bottom line is he didn't want Drew Brees enough to do it. So don't blame it on the doctors. And I know Randy Mueller, who was the GM there, basically the table setter for Nick Saban because Saban was in charge. He said, we had chose to sign Brees. I've told this story many times. We had the basics of a contract agreed to. The medical report couldn't be overcome, except by the Saints doctors. So if Breeze had never signed with anyone else that offseason, I'd say, okay, well, the guy can't be passed on a physical, but he was, and he was fine. So I just, it just bothers me. It bothers me that Saban won't accept the fact that he just didn't want Breeze. He chose to give up a second round pick for a guy with a wrecked knee over signing Drew Breeze as a free agent, period. Do I have to speak in this segment now? I don't know if I get to or not. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I'm just, (laughs) it just bugs me. It just bugs me. It bugs, no, it bugs me. you, it irks you. you. There was a third word that you also used there. It that pisses it, me off. Oh, sorry, off. London. All right. Well, uh, anyway, you know, I, I think it's funny because, you know, when we talk about doctors and failing physicals, but, you know, usually when a team has a player and they've agreed to something, and this has happened a few times in the last few years, right, where 
in free agency, a team will then have well, a team will have an agreement with the player, and then they will fail that physical, and then it's like, oh, oh well, sorry, guess you gotta go someplace else. So they can usually find reasons to either pass a guy on a physical, or they can find reasons to fail a guy on a physical. So that's kind of what things are here. You know, you can sometimes renegotiate things if you see that a, a guy is not going to pass their physical you know, in the way that you thought that they should, right? I mean, this has happened a couple of years ago with Michael Brockers, happened with Roger Saffold. I mean, they both ended up going back to the Rams, which I know because I covered that team at that time. So it's just an interesting aspect here when you're talking about Nick Saban and, you know, he says, oh, well, the doctors didn't do this. And I, you're right, Mike. Yes, they could have found somebody to clear him, but also in some ways it's like, well, maybe the Dolphins figured that they didn't actually want to sign Drew Brees in the first place. And that's why he ended up failing the physical, but you know, look, the rest is history. And Nick Saban has won seven national championships, six since uh, that time where Drew Brees uh, signed with the saints instead of the Dolphins. So who knows what would have happened? I think that eventually Nick Saban probably would have found his way back to college football. And you know what? Look, he's now the greatest head football college coach of all time. And he's got a statue outside the stadium in Alabama. And, you know, he's doing great things there. So I, it's it's just this interesting thing that he always brings this up. And it's like, are you, aren't you satisfied with what you've done? Like, and obviously no, because he's still coaching and he's still trying no, to get national no. championships. But like, it, it really does seem to bother him that he couldn't do it at the highest level. And I guess if I were a coach, maybe it would bother me too a little bit. But I don't know. I agree with you. Stop blaming the doctors. By the way, if I was a jerk, I would have interrupted you and said, I didn't know that you used to cover the Rams. Please tell me more. Um, Secondly, real quickly on our way to break. (laughs) It would have been a lot funnier if I had done it. Uh, Nick Saban grew up 20 minutes from where I'm sitting. His dad had a service station. His dad was as obsessive, compulsive, hard-charging, perfectionist as Nick. And the, there was a biography of Saban a couple of years ago where, uh, you know, his dad would go nuts if Nick washed a car and he left a spot on the hood. And, and I feel like Nick Saban's NFL experience is the spot on the hood that he's never going to be able to, to get rid of. No matter how many national championships he wins at the college level, that's never going to go away. And it just, it just bothers me. If he really wanted Drew Brees, he would have found a way to get Drew Brees. It's easy to blame the doctors when the reality is he didn't want Drew Brees bad enough or he would have made it happen. Let's take a break. we got more PFTPM coming up right after this. Again crowding the line, San Diego. Now they back off. Brady. Look at the time he has. Brady. You say how fakes the blitz and Brady's very poised in the pocket. He's looking all the way at Terry Glenn. That's his guy to go to, but you can see he gets under the coverage and beat Ryan McNeil over in the corner. Here's Glenn. He's working to the corner of that end zone. And McNeil has good position, but Glenn does a good job of shielding him off and creating room for Tom Brady to squeeze that ball in there. Unmistakable voice of the big effer. Phil Simms on the call for Tom Brady's first touchdown pass. There's the ball. It is being auctioned. The touchdown pass from Brady to Terry Glenn in 2001. Glenn threw the ball into the stands. Oops. Patriot season ticket holder got it and has had it ever since then. So we're mentioning that. Uh, 
for one important reason. It gave us an idea for some content this segment. What seemingly mundane game would you have liked to attend in person in hindsight, Miles? Okay, first of all, I'd like to say that I would like to be the age that I am now, at least, or at least moderately this age, as opposed to the age I was when this game happened. But week one, 1999, Rams versus uh, this team that is in Baltimore. It's a name I don't really want to talk about. This is September 12th, so I was still uh, a young child, Mike, and it wasn't quite my birthday. There's another clue for you. Uh, but the Rams won that game 27 to 10 in what was then known as the TWA Dome. So it's Kurt Warner's first career start. Got a Hall of Famer, threw for 309 yards, three touchdowns. It's also Marshall Falk's first game with the Rams. Torrey Holt's first game with the Rams. It's another guy who could be a future Hall of Famer. But it basically kicked off the greatest show on turf era. And at that point, nobody knew how good the Rams were going to be, but certainly they looked great in that game that started off the year where they ended up 13 and three. And then they obviously won the Super Bowl over the uh, Tennessee Titans there in Jeff Fisher. So I think that would be a fun game to attend in retrospect, knowing how things would end up. And there absolutely was no reason to anticipate that they were going to become the greatest show-offs on turf going into that game. I mean, the greatest show on turf going into oh, that game. Yeah, see what Are you, you did more there? of a Rams fan than, or a Browns fan? I, I mean, it's weird. I, I Once you see how the sausage is made, it kind of takes away the taste of, you know, your fandom a little bit. But I, I grew up a Browns fan, so I had no idea what that was going on. But, you know, when you work for a team for as long as you did, as I, as I did, it, it starts to rub off on you, I think. I want to see them the do well. The game that I would want to attend. I would want to attend a game that happened September 6, 1998 between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Minnesota Vikings. That was the first game of Randy Moss's career. I watched yeah. that game live, and and it was – now, uh, at the time, I don't know how mundane it was or wasn't. Nobody really knew what Randy Moss was going to be. He was dominant in that game. He had like a juggling catch at the end zone. He had another one where they dragged him down from behind. But Tony Dungy, who was the coach of the Buccaneers at the time, his attitude was, this guy's got to prove himself. We'll double Chris Carter, and we'll single Randy Moss, and Randy Moss burned them, and it really set the tone for what the Vikings were going to be that year, So, uh, and for what Randy Moss was going to be for his entire career. So that's that's one I would have wanted to attend. You got another one? Yes, I do. And I'll go more modern era, because it's modern for me, where, as you know, 1999, 1998, that's modern for you there, Mike. But... This happened a couple of years ago with Patrick Mahomes in week two of the 2018 season when he went to Pittsburgh and he threw for six touchdowns against the Steelers and they won that game 42 to 37 to the Chiefs. You know, I at that point had sort of heard of Patrick Mahomes. You know, he'd started week 17 in the 2017 season. He had four touchdowns in the opener against the Chargers. But that game was where it's like, uh-oh, like this guy – this guy might really, really be good. And I can remember watching the game the next week where Jimmy Garoppolo ended up tearing his ACL. And there was a play that he had where he was darting to his right and then he kind of threw sort of across his body and it ended up as a touchdown. And that was when I sort of figured like, wow, this guy, this guy's really, really good. But that six touchdown game the week before, that one is probably where the hype train started to come out of the station. That's one that I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you. And I'll tell you what, 
I picked the Chiefs to win that game, and I take special pride in the rare occasions where I picked the upset and it worked. Because people are like, the Steelers aren't going to lose their home opener. They're not going to lose their home opener. They're the Steelers. Yeah, but this is Mahomes. Just wait and see what happens. And uh, it was amazing to see it happen. I'll go, and I got two to choose from that happened in fairly close proximity in 2007. One happened at Heinz Field. It was the Dolphins-Steelers on the Monday night game where the punt didn't bounce. Horrible game miserable game probably wouldn't have wanted to be sitting out in the bowl of the stadium because it was raining it was nasty but that was the the game Mike Tirico on the call the punt hits and chunks and stays in the turf that's how bad that field was the following Monday I believe it was a Monday game Ravens Patriots when the Patriots were undefeated making the push for 16 and 0 the best game they got other than that week 17 kind of fluky Giants game the Ravens came at them hard, and it was crazy. That was a game where Ravens players picked up flags and threw them into the stands. They, you know, there was just a sense the fix was in, whatever the case may be, but I would have wanted to have been at that game, even though I don't know how mundane it is that the Patriots are making their push for 16-0, and but that's one that stands out. In a season that had plenty of moments that came later, that's one that stands out to me that I would like to have been at. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We got plenty more to come. Not really, just about five minutes more to come. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Olympics begin July 23rd live from Tokyo, only on NBC. Can't wait. Supposed to happen last year. Pandemic pushed it to this year. It will be awesome. Also awesome. Sunday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC. DK Metcalf running in the USA track and field Golden Games. Here he is running down Buda Baker. Buda Baker's like, what in the hell? That turn back. He's like, what? What? That guy caught me? So I don't know how DK Metcalf's going to do, but I do know this. I do know this. I will press pause on my Mother's Day activities and find a TV. Well, don't need to find a TV when you're carrying around one on your phone at all times, but I will watch the uh, the race and uh, the event with DK Metcalf trying to trying to win a 100-yard dash or two and in theory qualify for the Olympics, which begin on July 23rd. 
Look, if he just imagines that Buda Baker has an interception and he's got to chase him down, you know, I don't know how exactly you manifest that in your mind's eye, but hey, if DK Metcalf can do that, who knows? Maybe he goes out and he does really well. Some guys run faster yeah. in their football uniform. Maybe he should wear his football mm-hmm. uniform when he runs. Yeah, well, so, I mean, maybe at least uh, the right, pants. There it is. <laughs> I just crack up every time I see Buda Baker look back and, and, and uh, you know, what the hell? All right, uh, Mike Holmgren says what the hell about the Green Bay Packers. He has said that the Packers aren't handling the Aaron Rodgers situation very well. This is the second time the Packers have gone through this. Holmgren said they went through it with Brett Favre, too, when they drafted Aaron. With a franchise quarterback and a guy as good as Aaron, you don't treat all players the same. I can't imagine a relationship between the coach, management, or whoever is making the decisions and a star quarterback like that getting to this point. I can't imagine it. I wouldn't allow it. I wouldn't let it happen. Um, The Favre situation different from Rodgers. Favre retired. They wanted him to. Favre came back. They didn't want him around. They weren't going to pay him $12 million. Rodgers was the guy. So it was either cut him or trade him. It wasn't keep him. With Rodgers, it's very simple. Packers say, play for us or play for no one. They're happy to keep him at his current contract with the ability to shift to Jordan Love next year if they choose. And, and if he doesn't want to play, fine. Take a seat and pay us $30 million and we'll go with Jordan Love. Yeah, I, I really think it, it is a different situation than it was with Favre just because of the flirtation that Favre continued to have with retiring, not retiring, and all that. And, you know, I think the other part of it is that the, the Green Bay Packers had just gone to the NFC Championship game before they decided to draft Jordan Love, trade up and draft Jordan Love at that, instead of picking somebody that could help them push past what was then the NFC Championship 49ers and go to the Super Bowl. So I I see what Holmgren's saying. And yes, you know, you really don't want relations between your franchise quarterback and the organization to get to this point. But I don't know that the two situations are really the same. And it's not really the same thing of saying you've already been through this before, you know. And the other side of it, too, Aaron Rodgers never did anything to waffle about, is he going to retire? He's always said he wants to play for the Packers into his 40s. And then they bring in a guy who's going to hover over him every year as they try to to stoke him to play better and better in the final years of his career. All right, question from RMAGS9. What's the most likely scenario for Rodgers this year and the future? Miles, I was on with Rich Eisen earlier, and I said, earlier in the week I would have said, Rodgers doesn't play for the Packers this year. If he has to sit, he sits. I now think... And we talked about this yesterday, I believe. He's laying the foundation to come back. And I think he's going to come back, act like it was no big deal. Why is everybody making a big deal of this? I'm here to play football this year. Because he's not going to give up one of the last remaining years of his career. He's not going to write a check for $11.5 million, which is this year's signing bonus proration, and the $6.8 million that he earned already in a roster bonus. That is $18.3 million, if my math is correct, and it rarely is. He's not going to want to give that back. He's not. So he'll be there. And then they'll they'll do this dance again after the season ends. Yeah, it's not going to be fun, probably, if you're a Packers fan, you know, for the next year or two or however long it takes before this situation between Rodgers and the Packers is resolved. Because, look, I think that you're right. It's pretty clear he's laying the groundwork to come back and then to say you got to stop reading that crap from Mike Florio because he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, everything is just being blown out of proportion. But I think... It wasn't, first of all. I I think that there was a clear rift between these two uh, factions, these two sides. So 
even if Rodgers comes back and even if he plays well, which I think there is plenty of reason to expect that he will, this is probably something that's going to come up next year. It's going to come up the year after that if they keep Rodgers. And, you know, if they don't, if they decide that they want to transition to Jordan Love, then, you know, we'll see where Aaron Rodgers goes and continues to play great. Miles, I have some bad news for you if you don't already know this. Next Friday, when we are one week closer to death, we won't be able to celebrate it together. We're going to take a break, summer break, early, PFTPM, until after the Olympics. We'll still have PFT Live. We'll still be posting content at profootballtalk.com every day of the year. That never ends. We'll have videos there. Maybe you and I can get together and do some videos during the break and commemorate the fact that we're one week closer to death or a few more weeks closer to death. Either way, enjoy your weekend. See you next time. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.